0: So as you guys are, if you're turning your Bible already done, we'll be in John 16, you know, whether it's on your phone or your actual Bible or, you know, book, book Bible or uh, whatever you use is fine. Um, So this is titled The Hero Goes to Fight, right? So in in every movie, it seems like anytime there's like a hero type movie, you know, at some point in the movie, the hero gives this big speech before they go out to fight. And so it is supposed to encourage everybody. You know, if, you, if you've seen Henry V, have heard of it, you know, St. Crispin's Day speech. Uh, if you watch the Avengers movies, Captain America usually gives some kind of spiel about how, what they're doing and things like that. And so that's important for them because, you know, we've been talking about this. So this farewell Discourse, really, it just lasts a few hours over, the over the course of from the Lord's Supper to when he... You know, at the end of 16, chapter 16, Jesus is going to leave and take his couple of his main disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is kind of the end of this speech. So this is only you know a few hours or less of speech stuff that he's going through. Now we're going through it a little slowly, to uh, so we can understand and break all this stuff down. But that's really what this is. And so he's here comforting his followers because he's getting ready to go die. We you know we know that as we're on the other end of the story. We know it. John, you know, John wrote this many years after, so he knew, he knows what happens now. But when this was really happening, he didn't know what was going to happen. Just like Peter and everybody else, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't really understand when Jesus kept saying, "My time is not come," and now all of a sudden he's saying, "My time has come." Like, wait, what happened here? What is, you know, what's going on? You know, we, we know we're here for the Passover, all this other stuff. And they, they were, I think, they, I think some of the, they still were trying to take it as he was going to do something and sort of maybe overthrow the Romans or do something against the Romans kind of thing, right? So he was, they were kind of looking and trying to figure out what he was doing. So he's giving them breadcrumbs, and now he's getting very explicit as he gets towards the end of this. And so we see this, and we see this, this farewell. And again, like I said, kind of at the very beginning, this is the good news. This is like the great, this is the best news. And, you know, 1633, as, as God would have planned it, I think, honestly, uh, I got all these bulletins from the Napomo Church, and, and luckily, as, as it was, this was one of the ones in there. But I found it. I'm like, sweet, this is this week. Right? So this is right on here. I have overcome the world. That's the main point. Jesus has conquered the world. You know, verse 33, circle it, underline it, tattoo it on your arm, whatever you got to do to remember that as we live our lives... Everything's already done. Jesus has already beat He's already beat the world. He's already beat the prince of the world, you know, the devil, all these other things. Now we have to live here, and we'll cover this in a few minutes. Right? And we even have revelation where we know how everything turns out. The world goes back to the garden the way it was intended, the way the book started. Right? So we start with the garden and the tree and the river. We end with the garden and the tree and the river, and we're all of God's people are there with him. Right. That's the best news. And not just, oh look, we get to go through heaven, we get to get into heaven. There's so much more than that. We get to live with God. Heaven just happens to be the place, where the new heaven, new earth just happens to be the place we're at. But we're with God no matter where we are. If we're with God, we're, we're good. Right? That is what it is. We're good. And so we'll go ahead and read... Uh, John chapter one, or chapter 16, we'll go down, through, down to verse 11, and we'll go through the rest of it. <clears throat> and so this is what John tells us. This is what Jesus is saying. These are his words, right? So I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling, verse 1 says. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember what I told you them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going away to him who sent me, and no one you no, not, no, not one of you, excuse me, asks me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Yet because I have spoken these things to you oh, excuse me, nevertheless, verse seven, nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the, na- the ruler of this world has been judged. Right, and That's verse 11. And so again, to reiterate, uh, the main idea is that Jesus has conquered the world. He does this, or he conquers three different enemies, we'll say in a sense. So he conquers his enemies, of the people who are persecuting him and his followers. He conquers sorrow. So the middle, the middle chunk there, verses 16 through 24. And, and, and lastly, he conquers the overall world of what's going on. You know, and that's now and future. You know, eschatologically, every, every, Knee will bow above and below. Everybody, everything will bow. That's what Ephesians says. Paul says in Ephesians, right? So everything will recognize who God is, who Jesus is at the end, the last day. Whether they like him or not, whether they agree with him or not, whatever it is, everything will worship him. Everything will recognize who he is for for the king that he is. So... This first part of chapter 16, we could have, and I thought about it while I was doing it last week, because I always kind of read ahead to see, because the chapter breaks are where they are, and I've said this before, the chapter breaks are where they are, but doesn't always mean that's where they necessarily should be in the storyline if you read it, right? So when you're reading things, the chapter breaks make it convenient, but really this part goes exactly with the back half of chapter 15, right? So at least these first 11 verses probably. They can go, they could have been stuck in 15 and you could have almost started chapter 16 in verse 12. Not sure exactly the guy, I forget who the guy's name is, but he made all the chapter breaks and that's just stuck. So that is what it is, right? But when you're reading this, just remember that. If you're reading your own personal study, don't just stop because like you want to read that. Read the topic, read it topically in a sense, not, not chapter number-wise, right? And There's nothing wrong with, it. there's not like a fallacy or the wrong thing with the Bible, it's just the way it got broken up just to make life easy, right? But this whole line of thought goes with the Holy Spirit, so really, that's what Paul, Jesus was talking about, so it could be stuck in the back half, and we could have covered it last week, but since we were doing the Lord's Supper, right, we, I kind of compressed everything a little bit for 15, but the other thing is that it's okay to keep talking about the Holy Spirit, right, we don't just want to skip over it because we should have done it last week, this is, he's an important part of the Trinity, he's the third person, so we need to talk about him as much as we talk about Jesus or the Father, right, so i part of the deal so in verses 1 through 4 right, he's con- Jesus is continuing on about the world being against us and he warns the disciples that they are his enemies right? these people are going to cut you off from the synagogue if they arrest you they're going to cut you off the Jewish establishment wants to cut you off because that was a huge thing because right? what was the punishment if you were a leper what couldn't you do if you were unclean if you were a leper if you were certain things you could not come to church or if you could, you could only come to certain parts of it, you know, depending on what was going on. You were only allowed in certain places, depending on how clean you were. So that was, they kind of used that as a way to say, well, you are not part of the club. And to the Jews, that's a terrifying aspect. Like, this is part of being Jewish, right? the Going to the temple, doing these things, that's part and parcel of being Jewish. So if I don't get to go there, I, am I really Jewish? Right, that's kind of this this sort of mental torture they're playing a little bit with people to cut them off from the, because they try to keep them in line. Because if you're not connected to the community, then in their mind, you're not connected to God. And it couldn't be farther from the truth because we know that Jesus is the one that connects us to God, because here's God standing in front of them, telling them things. He's preaching in front of the, the synagogue, and they're saying, you don't belong here. You're blaspheming. You're doing the, saying the wrong things, so we're going to cut you off. And he's like, you guys clearly don't get it. Right? We learned last week, Jesus is the vine. God is the gardener. So if you're connected to Jesus, you're connected to God. But he warns them, he says in verse 4, but these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes... You may remember that I told you of them. Because nobody has been arrested yet. None of these guys, none of the disciples have been arrested yet, right? We, we know that. We, we read through there like everything's just kind of cool. Jesus escapes the crowd a bunch of times. He, he is, nobody's with him. They were able to steal a donkey on Monday or Sunday, and nobody said anything. They will bring it back. So I'm assuming they returned it, but nobody complained. They're allowed to do certain things, so he doesn't want them to be shocked because when we get to Acts, all of a sudden John and James get a, or John and John and Peter get arrested kind of right off the bat. Why? Because now Jesus isn't around to protect them. He's not kind of keeping them at bay. So Jesus is gone. You know, in their minds, he's dead, in their disciples' minds, he's resurrected and reascended, or he ascended back to heaven. So they're now the disciples are now the focus of their, their anger and their ire. And so even John the Baptist, he was arrested, but he was only arrested by Herod for denouncing his illegitimate marriage to his, his, you know, his sister-in-law. And so that had nothing to do with Jesus. So even John the Baptist wasn't arrested for being a preacher of Jesus or even preaching that Jesus was coming. He was, he was annoying Herod for his, his illicit affairs. And so once the Sanhedrin essentially crucified Jesus, you know, they think the end of the war is over. This is it. We're done. Mission accomplished. We've disposed of another false messiah. Good job. Everybody gets a, a promotion or a bonus for the, the year-end you know, thing on, on the, on the uh, ties. Because he was blaspheming against God, just like Jesus says, that they think they're offering a service to God. Even Paul, before he had his road on Damascus moment, he was hunting down Christians because he thought he was working for God by cleansing the church of this rebellious group, essentially. But many people are fighting the wrong enemy, and Jesus says they are the ones who don't know the Father. They read the Bible, they read the books, they read all these things, they think they know what it is, but really they don't. Because they're not listening and looking and seeing what's directly in front of them. And so Jesus says he didn't need to tell them any of this. That He didn't need to tell the disciples this because, again, the Sanhedrin was focused on them, or him. But later they're going to focus on them, or on the disciples. But he says, look, you don't have to do it alone. Don't worry, I'm not going to just leave you hanging. I'm going to give you the Holy The Holy Spirit will come down after this, and he will be with them. And the Holy Spirit is going to do the work against God's enemies. And again, verses 8 through 11 in chapter 16, he says, When he comes, this, so the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And again, about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father, and you no longer see me now, about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So the, the Holy Spirit does all this work for us. We don't even have to do that. So hopefully when we're confronting people, we're talking to people, we should be doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you don't really feel or do kind of don't know what to say to people, maybe just be quiet. Because it's probably going to come out wrong if you say it on your own power. But if you let the Holy Spirit work in you and say the right words for you, through you, they may not hear it, but it's going to probably come out a lot better than what you would say it. Uh, we talked about, on Thursday, we talked about more, more about love last week for, from chapter 15, about how we love people. And we need to love people enough to tell them they're sinning, but we also need to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, we can't just let things slide. I want to make sure we're clear on that. Do not let sin slide, but how we do that is important. And the best part we can do is have the Holy Spirit work through us and work use us for His work. And so... If we go back to the Old Testament, so David is a Christological figure. Right? He is a pre—he is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. Right? He's a precursor to who's coming. So we probably all know this from Bible, you know, Sunday school. If you were raised in a church, or most people even still understand the phrase, you know, the biblical event David and Goliath. Right? Little little kid, teenager. You know, Goliath was seven or eight feet tall, and they they found I guess Philistine. They recently found Philistine uh, skeletons that apparently are like that big. Like legitimately that tall. So these were very large people for whatever reason, right? They were These were very large guys. It wasn't just a, somebody exaggerating how big and tall these people were. Like he's a big guy. So we go to 1 Samuel 17. If you don't want to bookmark it, we're kind of be in and out of it, but you don't, you don't have to like flip back and forth. I have stuff on the board to look at it. So... So this fight, right? So in 1 Samuel 17, the Israelites and the Philistines were aligned against each other in the Valley of Elah. And so they were standing there, and so Goliath goes out in the middle of it, and he challenges Saul and his army to a, to a one-on-one match. Right? He, he basically says, look, anybody who wants to come out here and fight me, if they beat me, we we'll, are loser. We lost, and you win, and vice versa. You know, it's kind of a kind of like Elon Musk did with. Uh, Putin, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. He challenged Putin to a, 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 an MMA match, apparently. Right? Because guess what? Only two people had to get in there and get dirty and fight. So it kind of makes sense. I don't have to waste manpower. Thousands of people would be killed for, for, some, for a battle when we could just settle it with two guys. Right? But in verse 11 of 1 Samuel 17 verse 11, it says when Saul and Israel heard these words from the Philistine, so Goliath, they lost their courage and were terrified. And that's kind of what's going on with the disciples. They are hearing what's going on, but they are terrified that Jesus is leaving. They don't understand what's going on. So the Israelites and Saul, the king, he was scared of this huge champion. Here he is. And so this went on for 40 days. Right? So David and Goliath goes on for 40 days. It's not just a one-day thing. 40 days every morning he goes out and taunts him. If you guys want to fight me, come on. Bring your champion. We'll call it a done deal. Whoever beats me. And it even says that the Israelites were scared, and Samuel recorded it. it says the Israelites ran away from him. How embarrassing if you're Saul that your whole army runs away from one guy. Now, they had a whole other army, so I get it. But my guess is that most of the other guys were probably, they probably had more than a few guys that were just as big as Goliath. He just happened to be the biggest and probably the best soldier they had. But imagine what that does to the morale of the army when the king and everybody else is gone. They're, just a, they're afraid. They're scared. They just stay away from him. They're like, here he is, glancing in the middle of the field, and we're going that way. And we're glad we have the fence there because he has to hop over it. Maybe he's too big to jump. We right? can only hope that. It's devastating. But Jesus knows that in order to go fight his enemy, right? Because that's really what's going on here. Jesus is going to fight. He's going into the battlefield to fight the enemy. On his own terms, he's going to the cross. He's giving his own life of his own volition to die for our sins. Because we can't do it. We're here to help. We're part of the army. But we can't really fight him. He has to go do it because he's the only one capable of doing it. That's the problem with the Israelites is they didn't think they had to be capable to beat Goliath. So they were just sitting there in fear. But you see, there's good news because unfortunately, though, everybody was super sad that they didn't have anybody to, to fight for them. Like We don't have a champion like that. The disciples here, coming back to Jesus' time, they didn't understand. They thought it was going to turn out differently, right? Because it, it doesn't make any sense to us. Because so, so going and dying somehow wins the war. It doesn't sound like it's a win, right? It just it doesn't make sense to us in our earthly brains, the way things we work. But we're going to see in, chapter, in verse 16, we're going to see, starting there, that, that Jesus is going to conquer our sorrow. And so he says, in a little while, and you will no longer see me again, in a little while you will see me. Like, what does that mean? Right? They're like, he's going away. He's going to come back. I don't. He's going off the groceries. I don't understand what he's doing here. He's going to come out and, get and leave. And so, he's like, I'm going away. I'm gonna come back. But he's going to the Father, and the disciples are perplexed. Right? They get stuck on the side, of the idea that Jesus is leaving. Like, wait, you're leaving? You're telling me you're going? You're not coming back? I don't understand, dude. I said I'm coming back. What does that mean? he has an important job to do and so he's teaching and he's healing and so everything seems to be going well enough and then anybody says hey I'm leaving and all of a sudden they're super sad so verse 20 says truly I tell you you will weep and mourn but the world will rejoice right? this is when he's gone and we know this is after he dies so this is Good Friday so again remember this is a context of probably getting in the realm of, of 15 hours left in Jesus' life on earth here you know before he's crucified somewhere in there probably I'm guessing Right? So he doesn't have very long to live. They don't understand. So this is 15, years, 15 hours roughly. So the world's going to rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow re- will turn to joy. Like, what? My sorrow's going to turn to joy because you're gone? And the world's going to be happy? I don't understand. It. Jesus was crucified. When, when that happened, the world rejoiced. But well, you read in the other Gospels, that the Sanhedrin, the people who were standing there, the Pharisees, you know, they're like, well, if you're the Messiah, get off the cross. Right? If you're the Messiah, when they were giving him his trial, they were slapping him and saying, well, who hit you? Who hit you? Prophesy, prophesy. You know, all these things, they were tormenting him, they were torturing him. And it was so bad that only John stuck around for the crucifixion at the cross. They didn't, nobody else wanted to see him. Everybody else scattered, as was predicted by Jesus. disciples were trying to figure out what to do the world was happy because again they got rid of the false messiah the troublemaker and the romans were appeased the jewish people were happy everything was good only the people that were sad were the were jesus's followers but in verse 22 he says so you also have sorrow now but i will see you again your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you Let me read that again, that part. I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. Again, he dies on Friday. But by the beginning of the week, right, Sunday, so two, three days, depending on how you count it, you you want to count Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's three days. He's back with them. And that's going to be the happiest. When we read the Gospels, we see how happy they are, right? When the women brought back, because they ran back from the the thing because the tomb was empty. Like, the tomb's gone. So what happens? Peter and John, probably John, we, we, we're pretty sure it's John, race to the tomb. And of course, John beats him. Because it's his book. So, whatever. But Peter and John race to the temple and they say in John 20, verse 9, he says, For they did not yet understand Scripture that he must, be, he must rise from the dead. But they were so happy that he was gone. Now, partly they were scared because they thought maybe somebody stole the body. But later... Jesus presents himself to them, and they are like over the moon because he's not dead. He's not dead. He's re- he's resurrected. He's here with them again. He's doing things. And then later, you know, he restores Peter from from his uh, forsaking Jesus and all that stuff. But they are so much happier, and they know he is the risen Lord. Right? That's what we say on Easter. He is risen, and the response is, "He is risen indeed." That is the best news ever because just like the song says, our Savior lives. He didn't just die and we we remember him and, and worship him because he's dead. We worship him because he conquered death and he's alive. No other religion has that at all. At least the ones that are exist still in existence. And so we have, going back to Samuel and David, David brought hope to the army because here comes David walking in, you know, 15, 16-year-old kid probably. He's going to walk out in this field against this giant of a man dressed in full armor. He's got his spear and his sword, all these other things. And David has his staff, a bag of rocks, and a sling. Five, five rocks. So he was super hopeful that it would only take five rocks to knock him down. Big guy like that with a helmet. You've got to be pretty accurate with that thing. Right so here it is let me say it for you so we kind of understand this is kind of you can read, read read this Samuel 17 right they warned him they the people warned David because they're like this guy has been raised from a kid to the time he's now probably 30 or 40 I'd, my guess is by this point to be trained for war his whole life and here's this kid who comes straight from the shepherds field who had to be delivering cheese to his brothers and he was wondering what was going on And Saul even says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 33, he says, Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth, and he has been a warrior since he was young. But you can't do it. It's impossible. We're going to lose. You're going to die. That makes us lose the war, because that was the bet, right? That was the bet between, if you, so you send somebody out. If you lose, we win. All your, we take all your people, all your land, whatever else. So this is a big deal. This isn't just he, David loses the fight. He, Israel loses the fight. But David comes back and says, The Lord delivered me from the lion's paw and the bear's paw. Right? The kid has already fought off lions and bears protecting his sheep. How many of you would, would beat up on a lion or a bear when they're trying to attack get your sheep? I'd be like, you know, I got 4,000 sheep. That's just kind of the lion tax, right? This is just kind of the bear tax. Because, right, we've, we have mountain lions around here. We've all probably seen them or at least seen one that's hit or something like that. You know they're pretty big. Bears, like their claws are bigger than my finger, right? That's a claw. And there's five or six of them, five of them on there. Their paws are, that's one paw coming at your face. I'm, I'm not down with that. I don't know. And then when they try to at least help David out and give him some armor, you know, Saul's so like, here, wear my armor. And he's kind of clunking around like, no, this isn't, and if you ever put your, you know, your, one of your parents, when you are a kid, you put your parents' clothes on and just all oh, big and weird, right? It's that same thing. The armor was made for you specifically because it had to fit right because if not, it was gaps and everything else. He's like, look, I can't wear this. It's not going to work. He wasn't trained. He didn't know how to do it. So imagine the, sorrows, the sorrow on Saul's face and, and what he's thinking when he's watching David walk out to go face Goliath. Right, here he is, this, this kid walking out with a stick. He's got a little leather sling. He's got a little bag of rocks. He's, all right, I'm going to do this. He's probably just like, you know, I have to watch because I'm, I'm the king. I need to watch and see what's going on, but I really don't want to watch this. This is going to be over in like three seconds, and, and I'm just going to turn everything in at that point. Imagine the tension rising as Goliath taunts David. It's like watching a bad accident about to happen. I'm sure, and I'm sure the disciples like this in the next few hours, when Jesus is arrested, feel the same way. They had to watch as their Lord and Savior was whipped, beat. You know, he had to carry the cross through the, through the town, everything else, all the way to Golgotha. Imagine what they felt like. This is not a win. Here's this bloody, tired guy throwing a crown on his head. He's in basically what we would consider probably you know, like his underwear, essentially. I'm not ma- mocking. It's just kind of what it is. You know, he's in a loincloth, essentially, it seems like. Trudging through town. They were just sad that Jesus was saying he had to leave him, and then the horror of all the other stuff that transpires, and what they think was the horror of, of what was going to happen with David as well, But the other end of it, the joy they feel when Jesus returns and presents himself to him is just indescribable. Here they thought everything was lost and all of a sudden now he's back, right? And no matter how hard the world tries, we know that we are brothers and sisters to Jesus and we are sons and daughters to the king. And that is extremely important to understand that no matter what is going on in the world, that's who we are. That's where we sit in the world's hierarchy. Right? We are sons and daughters to the king. And the king will not deny you anything you ask in the son's name. That's what Jesus kind of throws it in there. But it's important we understand that because starting in verse 25, right, Jesus is going to conquer the world. So this is kind of the end of the speech. This is kind of that big rah-rah moment, a little bit of the speech in Jesus' method. Because again, he's getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane at the end of this chapter. But he tells the disciples that they are loved because they love Jesus. Jesus came to the world to make the world right. And now he was preparing to leave the world after he finished his work. Because God loved the world. It's his creation. He wanted to fix it. So that's what Jesus came down to do. He came to fix it and make everything right. To erase the sin of Adam and Eve. As Jesus says, when his time comes, it's coming. right? And so as part of this hour, the events that will follow these disciples, they're going to be scattered and Jesus is going to be alone just like David just kind of mano y mano. But Jesus says, I am not alone, for the Father is with me. How many times do you guys think that in your daily life when things are going on? I'm here by myself, but I'm not because God's with me. He will get me through whatever it is, good or bad. I want to make sure we're clear on that because God is there just as much in the good times as he does in the bad times. And so when David goes to meet Goliath in Samuel 17, verses 45 and 47, this is what David says. He says, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpse Corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand over you over to us. Imagine a 16-year-old kid saying that. I come against you in the name of the Lord of Armies. Because that's who God is. He's not just the old guy who sits up there and he's meek and afraid. He is the Lord of hosts. Right? When, when, when we sing the song, you know, heavenly hosts appeared, the heavenly host is the army of the Lord. That's the angels. They are there for battle. When we see it in Revelation, that's what they're doing. These aren't just a bunch of fat little angels running around on clouds playing harps. You know, these are people, creatures made to fight. And that's really what it is. And I think we forget that. We, we, we just want to kind of chill in our comfort. Like, I'm a Christian. It's cool. There's nothing going on. And we, get, we freak out when we're involved in some kind of spiritual warfare. Or the world starts attacking us. Like, wait, this isn't supposed to how it's work. My life is supposed to be perfect. No. You're made perfect. You're living in the world that's not perfect. They're going to try to stop you in any way they can. So every day of your existence, if you're a Christian, is almost a fight. And we have to be okay with that, right? You have to be, com- be comfortable with being uncomfortable about this. But when we hear David's words, look at the, how many times he says and who he understands what's happening and his part in that. I'm here because of the Lord. The Lord put me here. God is the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, right? He repeats this phrase. He, right, God is doing the work to beat the Philistines, Jesus, God, did the work to beat the devil, to beat death. We didn't have to do anything. We get to ride on the coattails, essentially, because God has shown us grace, and he has grafted us in, and Jesus went to die to beat death for us because of our sin. So John Edward said, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the need for it. And we are in the army as much as the angels are. We serve the Lord. That's the thing too. That, you know, The Lord, the Savior and Lord. There's, two, there's, there's an and statement. In it. Jesus is his Lord and Savior. So he's in charge of you and he saved you. We like the salvation part. We don't so much like the Lord part so much. A lot of times because now I have to do what somebody says. And I don't always like to do that. From my personal experience. I am hard-headed, and we get pruned, just like in verse 15. When we get too, a little too big for our britches, <sharp inhale> There goes the, the gardener's shears. <sharp inhale> takes a little of that off of us, like, oh, that hurt. Yes, but it's for your own good. And so the good news: John 16:33, "I have told you these things, so all these things before. I have told you these things so that you, that in me, you may have peace." David was completely calm going to fight Goliath. We have peace because Jesus took care of it. He says, You will have suffering in this world. You can't get away from it. You're going to deal with it. It is what it is. But, listen be courageous. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. We know as Christians that it's all done for us. Everything is done. We're done. The overall fight is done. How comforting is that? Now, just like David, and we're going to see it here in a second, David kills Goliath, the Israelite army goes, and they go beat the rest of the Philistine army, right? So there was still a fight to be had. Just to make sure they didn't renege on their deal and say, well, we were never going to do that anyway. Of course, you probably know that. So we are going to be at war. The church is at war with the world because the world wants to hold on to what it has and take as many people down with it as it can. Misery loves company. The devil wants to steal as many people from God as he can to say, look, haha, I have more followers. And they're like, well, yeah. You have a third of the angels, you have however many people, and you're all in hell. That doesn't sound like a very nice place to be. And again, this is not to scare anybody. This is just the reality of what it is, of what we believe, of what's going to happen. But as the church, we want to save those people who God called to be His people. And again, they don't wear shirts. We don't all get jerseys and say, you're this, you're that, and so we know who to pick out of the crowd that says, like, not yet saved, but supposed to be, so we can go right to them in Costco and go, hey, let me tell you about Jesus and come to my church. We have to talk to everybody to get to the person that actually is supposed to be saved. We don't know because that's part of the process. That's part of the battle we fight to make sure that we save the people who are supposed to be included in God's plan. So wrapping it up. And this is kind of the application as well. So one, God enabled David to defeat Goliath and this gave hope to the army and they were no longer afraid. All of a sudden, they were ready to fight. They ran out and and killed all the Philistines. When few minutes prior they were kind of hiding and they were like what is he going to do I don't know let's ooh. oh that's pretty bad I don't know right and they were like don't watch but he defeated it so the whole army was, was motivated and that is just a shadow that was a shadow of what was yet to come on the cross that was what David did to Goliath and that's what Jesus went did for us on the cross he went and fought the big giant of death and he beat it because Jesus has conquered the world, so the prince of the world will face judgment along with all of his minions, whether they're fallen angels or fallen humans. And so in Jesus' is death, he overcame death for us, and he gives us eternal life and the new heaven the new earth. That is where we know we will end up. Again, we will be with God in that location, then at whatever it is, we will be with him. Because that's the good news, and that's the point we want to have is... We shouldn't care so much about getting into heaven, we care so much about who heaven who is in heaven with us. Or who are we in heaven with. We're in heaven with God. And he is all sustainer of everything. Jesus redeemed his people and his nation. And so since we are redeemed and we have seen we are seen as holy in God's eyes because of Christ's blood, we can rejoice. We no longer have the, sin of saint, or the stain of sin on us. We are washed clean. Right? Our robes are made white. And the lamb's blood causes the angel of death to pass over us. right? So that's why, again, all of this is part of the plan. Passover was a foreshadowing of this week that we're talking about, this last week of Jesus' life, because he is the Passover lamb. The lamb's blood had to be painted on the door for the angel of death to pass over If you have the Lamb's blood on you, the angel of death will pass over. That is the whole point of Exodus. You know, eschatologically fulfilling this whole point of it, it was just a foreshadowing and a placeholder to get us to this point. We have been snatched from death's hands and we have been placed into the hands of the Father. As Jesus said a few chapters back, once you're there, nobody can snatch you out. There is no leaving. There is no getting out of there. You may want to jump out. You may try to jump out. You may forget you're there, but you're there. You cannot lose your salvation. And so we can rejoice that Jesus has conquered the world and that joy can fuel us as we go out to do the work of God for his glory. Just like David did. He said, God has done all this stuff. He's orchestrated it all. I'm just here as an implement of His work. And that's what we are. We're implements of God's work to glorify Him so that He can be glorified and people can know who He is. So as we go out this week, right, think about that. Think about how, how joyful are you. Are you still afraid? Are you still kind of worried about everything? And we should rightfully worry about certain things. I'm not saying just, like, everything's cool. You know, we, we need to do our job here on earth as we live. But that larger part of our job is to tell people about Jesus. And that is the mission of the church. That's how we fight the enemy. Right? So as we go out this week, as we sing our last few songs, right, let's, let's think how we can do that as a church body and as just individuals as well. All right, so let's go ahead and stand. As the band comes up, we'll transition to the last two songs.